Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. And that's what we do each week is answer as many viewers' questions as we can. And we take questions about the Bible, about life that the Bible might have something to say about. Uh, all kinds of questions that we deal with here. And happy to do so. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime and get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. You direct this program, so we're going to answer as many as we can today. And when I say we, I mean me, Steve Tandy, and my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and steadied up and ready to go. Uh, got a lot of good ones today, but we always start with one for our viewers, just to make sure they're paying attention. So here's yours for the day. Uh, what was the Apostle Paul's Jewish name? He had another name in the first part of his story. Uh, uh, we'll see if you know that, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. See if you know that little bit of Bible trivia. All right, it looks like I drew the first one. A viewer simply wants to know, who is Lucifer? Uh, well, I imagine most of the world would be uh, nodding their head and saying, that's right, if I just said, well, that's Satan. That's one of Satan's names, is Lucifer. Uh, but unfortunately, I can't quite say that with confidence. Uh, that is traditionally uh, what people think, and it's come to be a very accepted name for Satan, very common in literature. Uh, a lot of books and novels and writings all call him Lucifer, uh, but I'm not sure that's his name. So let's look at why. Uh, that name Lucifer is used once in the Bible, in the King James translation, and uh it talks about Lucifer, and that translates in other translations to shining one or light bearer. Uh, so the shining one. The, some people say, well, he was the brightest angel. He was the most beautiful angel, and his name was Lucifer, the shining one. But if we read the passage... We'll find out something very interesting. So let's read where it says Lucifer in uh, Isaiah 14, verse 12. says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? And it goes on and on talking about this character. But if we go back to verse 4, the instructions to Isaiah from God are to take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So that passage is written for Isaiah to say to king of, the king of Babylon. And he's supposed to say to him, How thou art fallen, O Lucifer, O shining one. It's a taunt. Okay. Now, so it's directly a name or a kind of a mocking name of the king of Babylon. But there's so much in that passage that just sounds like Satan, 
uh, that some people think, well, it has a dual meaning. It also is describing Satan, and it's comparing the king of Babylon to Satan, so it tells us a lot about Satan. And that very well may be true. A lot of it does sound like Satan, but technically, very technically, Lucifer is a mocking name that was given to the king of Babylon uh, and not a name for Satan. But I don't think that's going to change what people think. Everybody's still going to call him Lucifer, probably. It is kind of a good satanic name, Lucifer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of interesting. <laughs> All right, what do you okay. got, Toby? Uh, viewer wants to know about evolution. Does the Bible refer, refer to evolution of humans or of other species? <laughs> Well, in one sense, yes, it does. Uh, the word evolution simply meaning the word change. Um, and uh, I think, you know, to think about it probably not in the way you're asking it. Uh, you know, evolution just simply means to change. And uh, as we grow and change and know the Lord, we're going to change as people. So in that sense, we do understand that we all go through an evolution biologically. We go through evolution we change as we mature and grow and get older from infants to children to mature adults and so forth. Evolution, uh, that, that word itself is not a bad word, but my guess is that you are referring to uh, the theory popularized by Charles Darwin, the origin of, spe origin of species, um, where he basically uh, went to, uh, uh, did some scientific observations, and uh, I think it was specifically kind of in the Galapagos Islands, and he uh, observed how the animals were adapting to their environment, and he came up with this theory uh, that the uh, basically all of these changes uh, probably could, uh, uh, his theory was all theory originally, uh, all life originated with one single life, and that one source of life simply evolved, changed, adapted over billions and billions of years to, to give us the wide diversity of life we have today. The, the problem is uh, this theory of evolution has never been observed. It's never, we don't have any evidence for it. Uh, we have lots of people who say, well, that sounds like a good idea. And then they begin to apply the theory. Oh, yes, this must mean that. This must mean that. And we must have billions and billions of years. And, uh, and the, the, the other, the deeper spiritual problem is uh, when you begin to think about it, this really puts human life on par with animal life, that we're all just the same. We're all evolved from the same life and that we're not any different. Uh, a man is a, is a pig, is a cow, is a donkey. It just doesn't matter. We all have the same value. And that has some deeper cultural implications. Uh, there is some form, and this is, I do think Charles Darwin observed this. There are minute changes within a species. So, for example, uh, uh, birds in, in colder climates tend to, even though they're of the same species, their feathers are longer and, and, and fuller to adapt to the colder climate. Well, that makes sense, and I think God designed our world to be that way. I think human beings adapt to their environment, uh, the temperatures and the, the, the seasons and all of that. So there's a difference between macroevolution, where we just have, uh, you know, uh, fish becoming uh, uh, reptiles, becoming uh, uh, animals, becoming human beings, versus we have all these animals that 
uh, adapt to their environment in small but noticeable, observable ways, those are two very different directions. So evolution does happen. What does the Bible say about the evolution of humans? Uh, the, when you read Genesis 1, you do not find an account that lines up with Charles Darwin's theory. Uh, Genesis 1 goes through very clearly, God created this on this day, God created this on this day, God created this on this day. It's pretty simple and easy to understand. Now, I understand some people try to take the theory of evolution, overlay that onto Genesis and make it work. But again, we gotta be careful with how we read scripture, whether we're applying our biases to it or we're, we're letting the word affect and change our biases. So Genesis 1, 20 through 25 teaches that only God is the source of all life. And he created all the animals of the water, the air, the land, and he did that on day five and six, and he created them separately, and they're, they're different, and they're unique, and that human beings are made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us that God created man uniquely in his image, male and female, to fill the earth and subdue it, to be in charge, to rule over the creatures of uh, his created world. So we read the scripture plainly, simply, that's what it says. Uh, we can take our own biases and apply them, but we got to be real careful with that. we got to just let the scripture speak where it speaks and uh, not add or subtract any more to it. So evolution does happen in small forms, but in major forms, the Bible just doesn't mention anything about that. I hope that helps. What is original sin is what our viewer would like to know about. So I'm going to answer that two different ways. Uh, one, just look it up in the dictionary and see what the dictionary says. The dictionary says original sin uh, can be two things. One is the first sin, the one that Adam and Eve committed. That's original sin. And secondly, the dictionary will tell you uh, original sin is the doctrine of what that first sin caused. And the doctrine of original sin, uh, practiced by a lot of Christian folks, uh, teaches that the original sin caused death and guilt in every human after that. So that when a person is born, a baby is born, he is born guilty. Uh, he is sinful at birth. Okay, That's the doctrine of original sin. Now, Let's look at the Bible, see what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, the Bible says there was a first sin, an original sin, that Eve was tempted by Satan and then talked Adam into sinning also. That was the original sin. And it says there were consequences to that. Uh, the consequences to that were physical death. Uh, all humans were going to suffer because of that. The world would be fallen and uh, the world changed at that time. And, uh, all humans would die instead of living forever. Uh, so that was the physical, earthly consequence of it. The Bible does not say that we inherit a guilt because of original sin. It uh, doesn't say because Adam sinned, we are all born sinful. In fact, the Bible clearly says that is not true. So let's look at that and make sure we understand what original sin is not. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. God says, Yet you say, Why should not the Son suffer for the iniquity of the Father? 
when the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. He's talking about spiritual death here now. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. I can't get any clearer than that. Uh, Sons do not inherit the spiritual guilt of their father. And if a son does something wrong, sinful, the father doesn't have to pay for that spiritually. Uh, God's very clear about that. So the concept that because Adam and Eve sinned, uh, we're all born guilty, not a Bible doctrine. Uh, The doctrine of original sin that's taught by many is not biblical. Uh, We're born innocent. Uh, We do seem to have a sinful nature somehow. The Bible calls that flesh, and we're we're tempted by things. And at some point, we all sin, uh, but we're not born with guilt. In fact, Jesus said little children are the kind of people that are going to heaven. Uh, They're innocent. They don't have sinful guilt. So uh, original sin, hope that helps you understand it. Take just a moment and tell you about a good way to study the Bible, a lot more than we study it with you here on this program. Uh, we like to answer a few questions, and hopefully you learn a little bit each day, and after 30 minutes you know a little bit more Bible. But we've got some tools that will help you really dig into your Bible and learn a lot about it. Here's the first set of lessons that we're happy to send you. And see the first two lessons there in the front are the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, gives you the basics of your Bible. Then we've got more advanced courses that will keep you studying the Bible for a long time with. Uh, if you want to keep studying, we've got lessons. And we've also added some online lessons that we think are uh, great ways to study the Bible. You don't have to wait for the mail to come or send the mail back, even though we pay the postage. You don't have to do that. Uh, You can sit down with your phone or tablet or PC and just work through the lessons as fast as you're slow as you want to. Uh, Go to oneway.worldbibleschool.org, and they'll connect you directly with our online lessons. So a great way to study the Bible, phone number, website at the bottom of the screen, or the way to get the others if you'd like those. So... uh, Give us a call or log on and say, I want that free course. We'll get it started for you. All right, Toby, what you got there? A viewer asked the question, if God wiped out all the people in the flood, how can he be a merciful God? Well, it's a thoughtful question. Uh, I think in the flood, as we read the account of the flood, we see that it is a a wonderful example of God's perfect justice (coughs) and his perfect mercy. Genesis chapter 6, 5 through 8 is not on the screen, but you can read it at home, but I'll read from it. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now you about that. If God just let that go, if God did nothing in response to the evil that had uh, grown in the, in, in the world at that time, would he be just? I think about probably terrible, awful things were happening, and yet should God allow that to continue? No, he can't, not if he's perfectly just. So, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him to the heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, and the birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. When we understand scripture, people want to gravitate toward one extreme or the other. Total justice, right? Uh, uh, the wrath of God, the, the, uh, the, 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 how he brings everyone to justice at some point. And some people gravitate only toward the mercy of God. Uh, he's forgiving. He forgives everybody. He loves everybody. You know. But these two things are not either or with God. They're both and. And the story of the Bible is the story of God's perfect justice and his perfect mercy. So it's not a matter of that God was not merciful. It's a matter of that God was just. But in the story, we see the example of God's justice his righteousness, his anger, his wrath, and his mercy, his love, his patience uh, by uh, sparing Noah and his family. Let's read Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5 on the screen. It says, God did not spare the ancient world, that's justice, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. That's mercy. The mercy was extended toward Noah. Though he was not perfect, he feared the Lord, and God provided a way out for him and his family that would ultimately lead to the salvation of the world. The flood, God's perfect justice, washed away the evil of mankind and gave us a fresh start, and Noah and the op his family the opportunity to bring new life upon the earth. So in this act, we seek perfect justice <coughs> and mercy working together. Hope that helps you a little bit. All right, got a, another question from our teacher that uh, teaches a kids class at church and uh, she sent us some questions that some of the kids had asked and wanted us to weigh in on them. Uh, this young person asked, what is the Holy Spirit? Is it a person? Uh, well, the good thing about answering kids' questions is you don't have to go into systematic theology to explain the Trinity and every other mystery you can think of. Uh, this young person just wants to know, what's the Holy Spirit? Is that a person? And my answer would be yes, the Holy Spirit is a person or a personality if you want to call him that. Uh, he has no physical body, so he's a spirit. Uh, so it's different than a person like we think of a person, but uh, he is described as a distinct personality in the Bible. The Bible talks about three beings that are divine, that are God, and uh, that is God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are all called divine beings and are worthy of worship and mentioned that way in the Bible. So the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, he's part of what we call the Godhead or part of the Holy Trinity. Uh, the best picture that we have to show that they're separate beings uh, is in the story of Jesus' baptism. Jesus had taken the form of uh, Jesus uh, of Nazareth come to earth. Uh, he was in the water with John the baptizer. Uh, God the Father was speaking from heaven. A voice came from heaven. It was the Father speaking. And the Holy Spirit took on the form of a dove and came down and landed on Jesus to signify that he was divine and God approved of him and all that. So there we have the three divine beings all present in one sense uh, at Jesus' baptism. So yes, the Holy Spirit is a spiritual being who is divine and he obviously can take on a form such as a dove if he wants to. 
Uh, but in general, we don't see him. We see his actions in the world. So hope that helps our young person figure that out a little bit better. Uh, I'd like to take just a moment now and invite all of our viewers to visit the Church of Christ near them. Uh, we're sponsored by the Churches of Christ and kept on the air by them. And we'd like to mention a few week today. We mentioned the home church of Know Your Bible, the Northside Church of Christ. We're in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, we're the ones that produce this program, and Toby and I both attend there. And, uh, always happy to meet our viewers that drop by and visit us. So if you're in the area some Sunday, stop in and see us. A uh, great bunch of people do a lot of good good things in the community and uh, help keep this program on the air. So drop in and visit Northside. Uh, of course, whatever viewing area you're in, you can probably find a Church of Christ near you and uh, drop in and thank them for keeping the program on the air. All right. Okay. What do you have? A question about denouncing Jesus. If a, person asks, if a person denounces Jesus, can they be saved? My answer to that is if they denounce him permanently, then there is no hope. I mean, if they just say, you know, that Jesus is not the Christ, I don't believe in him, don't believe that he's the Lord, refuse to submit to him, refuse to obey him, and they live in that state of their lives continually for the rest of their lives, then absolutely there is no hope for that person. However, uh, there there have been people, and even one of the apostles, that, that denounced him, denied him, and then changed, turned, re, uh, repented, and they then were absolutely accepted and forgiven and even used by God in wonderful ways. Of course, the, the, probably the, the most well-known example is Peter when he denied Jesus. Luke chapter 22, about verse 55, uh, Luke describes that very much in detail. Peter didn't just deny him one time, not just twice, but three times, uh, very directly. This was Peter who had followed him for three years. It's hard to even imagine and yet the story in the Gospels is that uh, never, never is any person beyond the grace of mercy if they will accept it. And we, of course, know that Peter did return and was restored by Jesus. The uh, Apostle John tells that wonderful story in his Gospel. So uh, a person who denounces him but then changes their ways, changes their heart, changes their mind, absolutely can be forgiven. The point is, Christ is our only hope. He, he, that's it. There's no other means that God has provided for salvation. And this is it. So if you choose Christ and choose to live by him, there's always hope, uh, even for a person who at one time may have denounced him. So it kind of depends on how long they denounce him. Let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. The scripture says, there is And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. Jesus is our only hope, uh, but there's, you're never beyond hope of turning back to him, even if you've denounced him. hope that helps. All right, a good answer to that, but somebody's going to wonder, what about after they die? Mm -hmm. And that's why I put this question next. A viewer says, I've heard that after a person dies, they'll have a way to accept Jesus. Is that true? So Toby established mm -hmm. that, no, you've got to accept Jesus in this life. And this viewer said, well, I heard you got another chance. There's a, a second try there after you die somehow. Uh, and I'll have to say, no, the Bible does not teach that anywhere. Uh, it is settled at death. 
the one little story that we have about what things are like after death uh, is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And when they died, uh, they went to two different places. Uh, one went to a place of comfort, uh, Abraham's bosom, and one went to a place of torment. The place, Both of them were in the place of the dead, but uh, one was a good place and one was a bad place. Uh, it was settled then. And in fact, the rich man asked if he could cross over, uh, if there was any way to do that. And Abraham said, no, there's a great gulf between us. Uh, no way. You don't change after death. So the Bible settles that. Uh, no way. Here's a much clearer verse, perhaps, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said, it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Okay, so that settles two things. There's no such thing as reincarnation. You die once, and it also settles that there's no chance to change your position uh, in believing in Jesus or obeying. Uh, after death, you, you die, and then there's the judgment. So that, that settles that. Uh, sorry, all needs to be done before you die, which makes it very important uh, how we think about it. Uh, and let's get things settled before we get close to that time. All right, time for another one, I think, here, Toby. Okay, if you're asked the question, where do I find where Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Well, this is found in the gospel accounts in different places, and the scriptures are clear. I'm going to read from Matthew's translation, uh, uh, Matthew's account, rather, from the New American Standard translation Matthew uh, writes these words, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that's where you, the, the, this is, question begins. And, and they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, this is the answer to your question, verse 15, He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, Jesus was not saying he's going to build his church on Peter. He was saying he's going to build his church on that profession, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a very important question because lots of people had theories about who Jesus was. Even in today's world, some people say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good moral man. But make no mistake, Jesus was only one thing. He was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And you cannot uh, lessen him to just a good teacher or a good man. If he was not Lord, then he was a liar, a fraud, a charlatan, or crazy. And so the question is very important to ask, not just of the world around us, which tries to diminish Jesus and dismiss Jesus uh, by saying he's a good moral teacher, but the question goes to you. Who do you say that he is? I hope that's a question that we can end on and that you'll think about. Good question. All righty. Thank you for being with us today. We're out of time for questions, but we've got to get our trivia question answered. It was about Paul's Jewish name. And uh, the Bible starts out the story about Paul, and it calls him Saul. 
That was his Jewish name. And then after he was converted to Christ and was sent as a missionary to the Gentiles, uh, they began to call him Paul more often, but he's called both in the Bible. So Saul or Paul. Glad you've been with us today and hope you can make it back next week as we answer more of your questions. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.